This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Garlic Bread, Eric, and Spike. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskis, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, Cheryl, A Bad Idea, Red Dead Coquette, and Robert Hans. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. And we're back for another episode. Inspiration Point. Adam. Tiana. We're here. One of us is queer. Get used to it. It's not me. <laughs> Hello, Adam. Uh, it's, it's been a minute since uh, you've talked about yourself in the third person, but you know, here we are. Hi, how you doing? Yes, I am here. I am queer, and uh, I'm not going anywhere for a while. So <laughs> that's right. Um, they even grow them in Alaska, as it turns out. Um, as it turns out, it just takes a little bit longer for for uh, the egg to crack. <laughs> the egg. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, since I spoke of myself in the third person, I suppose I'm feeling uh, somewhat regal today. Apparently. Uh, like one of my video game heroes, the king of the cosmos, which you're looking at me with, with quizzical eyes, and y you need to play this game because it's one of the queerest games. Oh, what game is this? This is Katamari Damacy. I've heard about this game. I have never played it, but I have heard about it in passing. You need to put it on your Captain America list, okay? <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Ren hasn't seen anything. The, the media happened, and you skipped it. Media happened, and I missed it more. Like it's, uh, <laughs> I'm planning, I'm planning to start live streaming me playing video games. Hopefully soon. Uh, things are things are working out for that, so we'll see. But like one of the like segments, I guess, or one of the like ongoing shows is going to be, what did I miss? Suggest things that I should have played when I was a kid. I have played part of one Sonic game. I have played one Zelda game all the way through and part of a second. And uh -huh. those are like the tent poles of so many people's childhood. That's that's wonderful. We we need to play a game with it with points, <laughs> and we need to get a guest on. Oh yeah, that like someone who also kind of knows you, and then we can like just sit there and like ask you the most basic media questions there are, and see how you do. You know, I think that would be really fun. We should do that. That could be kind of that could be kind of interesting because what's funny is that I haven't seen a lot of stuff, but I have picked up a lot via osmosis because sure, it's sure, so sure. prevalent in the culture that. I probably wouldn't do very well, but I might do better than I think I would. Right. Like, a lot of people who even haven't seen Holy Grail know what's being referenced. Yeah. Because it's just the just so referenced. But have you seen it? Have I you seen it? I have seen that one. That is okay. practically okay. required watching for theater kids. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, I think we even did it for a church night once. Oh, is, that's funny. <laughs> which is really funny uh, because it's such a sacrilegious film. Oh, it is. Uh, it's not um it's not as on the nose as life of brian but it is uh i mean it's a masterpiece it's it's just an amazing film have you seen life of brian i have not or history okay. of the world part 1 okay so history of the world uh that is what's his name the guy that did blazing saddles that's him uh gene wilder no well gene wilder as an actor but no the, uh, the Mel guy Brooks. that Mel Brooks, thank you. It's a Mel Brooks film. I had to go backwards in my head on that one because I was like, shoot, it's the guy who's the father of the of the guy who wrote World War Z, Max Brooks, Mel Brooks. <laughs> that was crazy. My my brain does some of the weirdest like freeform association and it does it very quickly. So sometimes when I hit a point, people are like, where did that trade? We were just talking about this. How did you get from that to that? I'm like... There were points along along this train of thought. There were stations along that way. I just did them so fast that you didn't see what happened. So I, I think the Monty Python movie you were thinking of was uh, The Meaning of Life. That one. Thank you. Um, which is weird. It's good, but it's 
it's like watching a really long TV episode of a comedy show. Okay. Right. It's it's less. It, there's not really like a uniform narrative as much uh, as it is just like two goldfish are watching TV. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I, it's also highly recommended, but I would say it's the lesser of the three we've named. That's fair. I also own a lot of uh, the Flying Circus DVDs <laughs> that I picked up at like a library sale or something because it was like, oh, these are, you know, these look good and they're hard to find and it's Monty Python and I like their stuff. So sure. Still sure. haven't yeah. watched them, but I own them. So since you've seen, oh, you haven't watched Flying Circus, but you have them. Exactly. I've seen a couple, okay. I've seen a couple like sketches, but I haven't like sat down and watched it. Right. Like probably stuff Andrew sent you, right? Or, or something like that. There's this one skit that he just loves. It just tickles in pink. Uh, well, there's a couple of them. There's the Two Sheds Jackson. And then there's, um, I forget where these guys are from. He's going to yell at me in the Discord, but uh, it's like these guys that are from this town and they're all just trying to one-up each other about how hard their life was growing up. Um, You know, as you often see old people do. It's true. You know, we had to walk up uphill both ways. I've really been struggling to not be that grown up as I'm approaching 40, where it's like, you know... Things are different now than than they were when I was a preteen and teenager, and there are definitely times where I have to like stamp down my instinctive "you don't know what you're talking about, you're young" or "oh, you've had it so easy." I've had to stamp that down because it's like, nope, we are not playing the oppression Olympics. I am glad Correct. that things are easier for you if they are, and I'm sorry that they're hard for you where they are. Like, yeah, but it's it, it takes work to to get around that instinct. And, and you and I know what it's like to have people in a generation one or two levels above us tell us, like, how come you don't have X, Y, and Z? Yeah. And then you're like, well, our opportunities are different than yours. Yes. And, you know, they just don't sell houses for five ninety nine anymore. Wouldn't right? that be nice? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, my job doesn't pay well. I need you to understand this, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, no, don't look at the amount. Think of the inflation, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, a dollar doesn't buy what it used to. No, not at all. Um, we, we've we've got a lot of things that are, are easier and better. I, I think uh, socially we're, we're better off now. Um, but there are other things where I'm like, yeah, like economically we have some hardships here and there. We have less access to X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I'll I'll be honest, I do the same thing with my students sometimes where I have to, like, kind of, you know, cover my mouth Uh and and chill out for a second because, you know, yeah, I got to check it, right? Yeah, I I, I never want to be that adult because people stop. I stopped talking to those adults when I was a kid, and I don't, I I always want to try to be a safe place where, you know, kids can can feel like they can come and talk and have their their voices heard because I, because I never felt like I was heard, right, as a kid. Yeah, no. And I don't want to inflict that on other on other people. You're supposed to be seen, not heard, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's and you know. And that's we thought that was a joke growing up, but the generation before us, that was their reality. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we also have to consider that. But anyway, um I was gonna say I have, you know, my D and D club here at school and it's pretty big, you know. We've got like five or six tables running at any given time. That's wonderful. You know, and this is not a big school, so it's just like a third of the school is just like involved in this, basically, you know, which is really fantastic. We we really love it. It's great, and the way they interface with the with the game even is a lot different than the way I would. Um, sorry, it's getting dramatically dark on my camera. I was here. noticing that, <laughs> and. That's because my room has uh, movement sensors. Ah. And since I'm just sitting there, like the dimmer started like basically saving energy. I've got like a little button next to me. So do you want me to be scary mode or happy mode? I am indifferent. This amuses me tremendously, whichever way you go. (laughs) All right. I'll just, I'll sit in the darkness. You are the darkness. You are the night. Dun, 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 dun. I'm making fun of the Pattinson Batman, but it it is my favorite. I actually really love the Pattinson Batman. I watched that on the flight home from Spain. 
It's so good. It's so good. Yeah, I unpopular opinion, but I love that movie. And uh, I hope the second one's good, but yeah. I have my doubts. Because that Joker scene that was added in was pretty cringe. Yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. I don't want to see Joker for a long time. Well, because Joker is just like the quintessential Batman villain. And I think it's more interesting to explore the other villains and how they... Because we all know, you know, Joker and Batman, the two sides, the same coin, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. much more interesting to check out the other villains and see what they say about Batman and what his take on the world is. I love what they did with Catwoman in in that film and how she like directly called him out for, you know, billionaires messing everything up and then trying to fix it in ways that only feed their own egos. Yeah, being sort of uh, disconnected yeah. socially from his environment. Like, she's like, you must have grown up rich. And it's like, yeah, he did. Yeah, real dead. Yeah. So... Yeah, and there's there's a lot of imperfection about about his Batman that I find to be interesting from a storytelling perspective. I feel like the answer is no, but have you been watching Loki? No, but I but I want to because I've been hearing uh, very good things about about the season. You mentioned the, uh, last time too that you so were really good. enjoying it. Uh, is it is it still good or is it Tom Hiddleston is amazing? At this at this fifth episode that I just watched, which is the one right before the finale. Mm. I, I was blown away. I just thought it was great. I thought every single character was endearing and lovely. And I thought that, yeah, even the writing wow. w was like spot on. And of course, Hiddleston is just, well, I mean, he's a master, right? You know, what's there to, what's there to say? It's so good. It's, it, it's just, it's going somewhere that's really interesting. And I can't wait to see the finale. That's really good to hear, though, because I know how much like MCU fatigue you've, you've started to have recently with just the onslaught of all of the stuff. So hearing that there's something that really makes you excited makes me really happy and hopeful. So, you know, I, this is not our topic, but I did want to say that, I, you know, I've heard a lot about superhero fatigue and uh, MCU fatigue. I think the fatigue hasn't been from the audience point of view. Um, I don't even I don't think it's been from my point of view at the very least. I think it's been from the creator's point of view. Interesting. I think I think they're tired of making it. And I think that they're getting burned out and they're having a hard time coming up with fresh ideas hmm. because when the MCU was popping off and like destroying expectations, it was like people were having fun with the creativity of it. And it was usually only in the sequels where where people were really struggling. You know, where it was like, oh, we brought the same guy back. Rarely do directors want to keep doing the same project, right? Sure. It's like it's like DMing the same campaign over and over again. Like most of us don't want to do it, right? Most of the time we're like, it would save me a lot of time and trouble if I did just run Storm King's Thunder for the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, but that's boring. So I would rather go through the pain and suffering of building up all of Westgate you know, because that's what I'm interested in, right? There's discovery for me, and that's what I want to go through. So I think that the MCU has done better when the director has been allowed to, like, kind of get nutty. So, like, WandaVision was, by and large, very, very good. I mean, we could talk about the ending, but I thought it was just a very creative show. And then, like, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was, like, Trying to do social commentary, and then it kind of like went, but we're Disney. Right. So we're not really going to say anything that's real bad other than racism bad, guys. Racism okay. real bad, and I'm glad we've gotten to that point. But also the war machine, <laughs> capitalism, I, 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 would, I would give anything to see um, because like in, in Brennan Lee Mulligan's campaigns, the, the, the BBEG is always capitalism. Uh-huh. Right. But yeah. That's... Mm. I, I would love to see that on a broader scale. I see. Yes. Well, I, yeah, the bad guy often is capitalism in various films. Uh, I think the last big Muppet movie they had, the bad guy was uh, like a businessman. You know, uh, the Barbie movie didn't really have an antagonist per se. Right. But the head of Mattel was something um, it's but it's always it never I don't feel like it ever resonates well when it comes from Hollywood because, well... Because Hollywood. Because it's Hollywood. Right. And it's like, 
you know, it's Spider-Man pointing at himself, you know, it's like, what are yeah. you talking about, man? Like, this is Disney. We don't, what, you think this is a commune? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think this is? I mean, I'm sure Disney would love for us all to live in company towns, but. <laughs> yeah, well, if, I mean, if it was their company town, I mean, if it was someone else's, they wouldn't like that. Fair point. You know what I mean? Um. Disney is the reason why we can't have more and more things be uh, public domain. You know about that, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, uh, like anybody should be able to do anything with Mickey Mouse at this point. Right? Yeah. And and we're not doing it. I am delighted that Sherlock Holmes is now pretty much entirely in the public domain. And the, then the last vestiges that aren't are going to be very soon. I love that. I think he's an incredible character that more people should do things with. And yeah, there's going to be some things that you know, fall on their faces. You could say that about some of the adaptations that have happened while it was still in copyright. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It happens. Yeah, a lot of classic books are that way. Horror characters are that way. Um, Robin Hood, you know, gets a new run every now and then. Uh, ironically, the best one is a Disney adaptation. <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the fox? Yeah, I'm talking about the fox, obviously. You know, there's there's no Robin Hood better than that Robin Hood. I'm Not sorry. really. I I, no. I grew up on that film. I love that film so much. Dude, that film, that film slaps, as the kids say. Okay, it absolutely slaps. Okay, and it holds up to this day. I don't care if they reuse animation frames right from older movies like Snow White. Nobody cares. Don't care. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter because that fox is made out of charisma. Right? <laughs> that dude, his name should have been Rizzy the Rat. You know oh what I mean? Oh, my God. Like, he's so cool. And then, like, that dude that plays the bear, uh, Little Jod, but it's definitely Baloo, and it's the same guy who's in everything during that era. Sure. Ultimate sidekick behavior. Ultimate sidekick. Guys, that is what we're talking about today. Beautiful, beautiful the, segue. <laughs> the ultimate sidekick episode. <laughs> we did it. And we got there through uh, Disney's, ironically, uh, a Fox Robin Hood. I say ironically because, you know, Fox Entertainment. Oh, gosh. That was a, that was a stretch. That was a stretch. Yeah. Uh, we stretched that Fox out too far. And I just want you to picture that. Anyway, um, let's... I need to turn the light on now. <laughs> I can't see what I'm doing. Yeah, you actually have to be able to read the book that you have in front of you. Whoa, blinded. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is, okay, the, the, the good version of me has come back uh, after the cringe humor. Come, come back from, from the mirror dimension, called back by dad jokes. Yeah, that's right. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter four of the GMG. We're also going to be looking at the sidekick section. For uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Of course, this is both in Dungeons and Dragons. So the reason I want to go through this is because I think it's just a fascinating idea that rarely works. <laughs> okay. Like, okay, no, I think the the section in the DMG, uh, chapter four, I believe. Yes. Yeah, chapter four. Does a great job of helping you set up a lot of NPCs, right? There's not enough tables. Uh, but that would, I mean, there's a zillion tables on the internet, right? It doesn't matter. So you can always come up with stuff like that. Where I think we really struggle is a couple pages in where it talks about, uh, the section is called NPC party members. Okay. Now, so here's the like absolute thou shalt not number one. Okay. In almost every case, I, I, you know, if you have a counterpoint I would love to hear it. You could join us at $1 at uh, Discord, and then you could tell me why I'm wrong, and then you could unsubscribe. You know, whatever you <laughs> want to do. We, we appreciate the dollar. If you want to spend the dollar to come and tell Adam uh, that, that he's wrong about something. That's right. That's, it's just a, a that's just a blanket invitation. It is. It is. Come tell me I'm wrong. It just costs you $1. That's nothing, guys. Come on. And then, you know, since you spent the dollar anyway, you might as well stick around and see what else. I'll, I'll be wrong again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so you could come tell me that again. So uh, anyway, generally speaking, thou shalt not have a DM run player character, right? Is that, does that count as an NPC? I think we need to really think about what do you mean by non-player character, right? 
Because we say that the DM is another player, right? Sure. So if that's the case, then every character is a PC. But we know that there's a distinction between those two things, right? I think in I, I think in general, if you have this is this is in general and not like specific, but if you have created an entire player character sheet for an NPC, that that might be verging on being a little bit too far. Now, I know people who do that to have like the basis of what their person of what their their NPC can do, and they never intend to have that NPC like draw focus or be the focus of things. They just want to have a more fleshed out stat block. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is someone who hangs out with the, with the party all of the time, has their own character sheet, but is also run by the DM. That is a DM player character. And that's too far in my slightly less than humble opinion. No, I agree with your opinion. I think that you're correct. It's a thing that, yeah, once you start to become the star of your own show... Oh. That's bad, right? And we can do the same thing, even if it's not a party member. You know, this is a trap that I have fallen into at times, where the focus of the story becomes various NPCs, as opposed to, like, the story being about the characters, like the player characters, as the protagonists, right? Now, you haven't seen me do that too much, because I got better. But, like, maybe in Storm Kings every now and then something might happen. But, uh, by and large... I've gotten better at this because I got very aware of it mm -hmm. um, after a certain campaign where Andrew told me, here's my feedback. I never felt important to the story. Yeah. And that's that's such a trap. And yeah. I can see, I, like, I'm still a very new GM, and I tend to err on the other side where I don't flesh out NPCs at all. Uh, I, <laughs> right, I, I, yeah. don't find, I don't find them terribly interesting. I just pick them up and, you know, use them as necessary to throw information at the characters and then back off. And that's erring too far in the other direction, I think, because it should feel like a living, breathing world with people who inhabit it. But I can absolutely see where the temptation is because it's easier to plan out the story for the characters that you control. And I can see why that would be an easy trap to fall into. But that's also the point where I'm like, just write a book. Right. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to get <laughs> into the XP to level three has an amazing uh, skit video about that very thing. I'll, I'll show it to you later if you haven't seen it already. I haven't seen that. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically he has like a DM NPC and he's just telling everyone the story. Every time one of his players is about to say something or talk, he just talks over them. Mm. And then the session ends and then he's like, so what'd you think? You know, and they're all like, I mean, I didn't do anything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I have seen this happen. I have seen a DMPC that is the focus of the campaign. Thankfully, I wasn't in the campaign, but I heard the stories from other people who were in the campaign. And they're like, my character didn't matter because this character is the one driving the story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes we can also feel sidelined by other PCs in the party uh, that are getting more focus. And yeah. You know, sometimes players are okay with that. Um, it's You always want to have that conversation, though, right? Like, hey, I don't really want to be Goku. I actually want to be Krillin because I don't really want to talk a lot. I just want to roll dice. <laughs> it's like those players exist, you know? It's like, why not? But in that case, they need to feel important or impactful in some other aspect of the game, uh, such as maybe they just hit really, really hard, yeah. you know, so something like that. Uh, all right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about building an NPC because one of the things that you were talking about was how we can overdesign when it comes to them so that we end up focusing too much on them. And one thing that really separates PCs from NPCs is how they're built. Mm -hmm. Okay, because there is an insane amount of intention that goes into building a player character. Uh, I just recently did another session zero for a student group. And I mean, it takes the whole day. Yeah. You know, it, it takes the entire session to fill out these sheets, especially if the people filling out the sheets are newer to the game, right? It takes a long time yeah. to do it. Uh, if you're not cheating and using D&D Beyond, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you've just done it a bunch, I, I can generally right, do, sure. do a character sheet at this point in 20 to 25 minutes. And that's if I have to do the math myself. Yeah, so that, yeah, and I would go pretty fast at that. Most of my time would just be 
spent thinking of a name right <laughs> at that point, um, which could be difficult. Okay, so uh, the approach to creating non-player characters has to be different. Yeah, um, because there's so many. Gonna, there's so many, and you need to focus on different things. Generally speaking, it should take far less time to build an NPC. Uh, having said that, when you want the piece, the NPC to feel alive, correct? And we do want them to feel like they have something. And that sounds like something you want to work on. Yeah. So I really recommend Chapter 4 of the DMG just to get us started. So the first thing I want to ask you, Tiana, mm -hmm. is, well, first of all, we're going to make an NPC together. Now, this NPC is going to end up being in our party somehow. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So, I want to ask you, is this NPC a like a race that would normally be a player character, like a dwarf, elf, whatever? Uh, or is this a monster? Hmm. Are we looking at, like, a theoretical NPC that might go into the Westgate game or one? What, 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 what kind of a campaign are we looking at? Because that kind of informs the answer. No, that's a great uh, point. So... Uh, let's reference Storm King Thunder because I, uh, most people listening have a, have either played it or have heard about it. If, if, we're not, if nothing else from, from us. <laughs> if not, yeah. And if nothing else, uh, it's in the north. There's giants. Um, <laughs> Fair. End of, end of description. Uh, I think then that this NPC would probably be one of the... I, I've, I'm kind of leaning toward this NPC being a giant, one that, that okay. is helping the characters as they're going. So th what's interesting about that is uh, the the uh, campaign itself, Storm King's Thunder, actually gives you pretty much a party NPC to run. And uh, he is a frost giant by the name of Harshnag. Oh, yeah. If you remember I Harshnag. I do remember Harshnag very fondly. Yeah, and Harshnag had a romantic relationship, ultimately, uh, with Spike's character, who was mm -hmm. playing a druid. And uh, that was that was kind of fun. But yeah, I didn't make up Harshnag. Harshnag was uh, right in the book. So um, he is a frost giant that's generally friendly to small folk. He doesn't particularly love his kin. Uh, he, and he has plate armor and a cool axe. Um, and I don't know how he got plate armor... But he's got it. You know. And that makes him a true player. All right. <laughs> I guess it's easier when you're an NPC and don't have to save up the... I mean, it's 5,000 gold for a player character. I can only imagine how much it would be for a giant. So for... Yeah, I don't even know. Like, I think he just found lots of other people with plate armor and then, like, stitched them together like chainmail. <laughs> Put it on that way. I don't know. Maybe he had to go, like, talk to a fire giant once. Could be. And he, and he had to, like, do the thing with his fingers and, like, uh, sir, uh, can I has plate armor? Yeah, exactly. Please? Can I, can, <laughs> can I has plate armor? <laughs> and they were, like, another one, huh? Ah, oh, dang. <laughs> All right, but you got to pay the price and you're not going to like it. And then he has to do something gross and embarrassing. Of course. Because um, comedy. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah. It would be really easy to to let Harshnag, for instance, get out of control. Sure. I can absolutely see that. Yeah, because he's a freaking frost giant, right? So you pick this guy up if you're when you're like level three, that dude's winning every encounter for you. Easily. Right. Um however, at a certain point, Harshnag becomes a damage sponge at best and goes down pretty fast. You know? Once you're like level eight. Sure. You know, Harshnag is, is no longer what he used to be, right? Um, unless you're starting to use Tasha's rules uh, to to keep him up in some ways. But even Tasha's rule says don't do this to anything that's above a CR one half. Um, but whatever. I never listened to those kinds of rules. So, um, all right. So, let's, let's come up with a different character, though. Like, right. Give me... Something that's not a giant, uh, though it could be, you know, maybe an Etten or a or a ogre or a goblin orc. You know, it could be uh, a member of one of the five factions because the factions play a strong part in the campaign. 
uh, it could be some sort of woodland creature. Uh, it, and also it could be like a, a human. Sure. Right. It could, it could be someone they saved. I don't know. My impulse, uh, because I came in at at uh, the the fight at Golden Fields, um, so my impulse is someone from the Emerald Enclave in that area who go who goes with the party to help them accomplish something. So Great. you know, could be a druid or you know, druid nature cleric. You know that that archetype as opposed not the actual like classes, but that kind of type. Okay, so if our whole character becomes he's a druid, it's not very interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a great place to start. And one thing that the uh, Monster Manual has, other than just um, monsters, is they also have NPC stat blocks, right? Really? And it is it is that one, right? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, at the very back. It's one of the appendices at that's the back. That's cool. You didn't know that? I, I I do not read the monster manual. We've talked about this. The the monster manual is amazing. Um so it has like a generic druid. Oh. Right? I think it's like a CR3 or something. Um it's not very powerful. There's also an arch druid that comes up later. Uh Volos then comes in and fills in a lot of gaps. So it gives us all the different kinds of wizard. Uh it gives us some warlocks and uh like the swashbuckler and the archer. So it gives us some things that, that were definitely missing from the other thing. So what I like to do when I'm making an NPC, especially if I'm doing stat blocks, is I start there. And then I basically make a copy of it, and then I just change it a little bit. Okay, but going back to Chapter 4, this section is called Detailed NPC. So we want to go over some things that make them more than this is Druid Man, Right. So, give me a d20 roll. Hooray! Here we go. We're rolling dice today. Heck yes. Ooh. Rowan's dice are not doing well today. That is a nat one. Uh, uh-ohs. Um, doesn't matter. Distinctive jewelry, earrings, necklace, circlet, bracelets. All right, so this is a druid of bling. <laughs> which is a little different, wouldn't you say? Like, that's that's not something we typically see go together. Yeah, they're, they're usually much more, you know, the nature Less type. opulent, oh. right? Um, so why are they like this, right? That raises a good question. When there's inconsistencies here, it actually pro- provides a better opportunity to be interesting, right? You writing it down? I am. Why can't I have more students to write down things I say, honestly? I, got, I, I have my notebook at hand this time. Oh, my gosh. You get a gold star. Yay! Yay! <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So next is abilities. Now it doesn't want us to actually roll the abilities for everybody. Okay. And if we're using, if we're starting with a stat block, we already have the ability scores anyway. But we might adapt them a little bit. So what it does in, instead is it tells us to roll a d6 twice, and the first one shows us uh, what a high stat is. Like what are they good at? Okay. And then the second one's low. So, roll a d6. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, that is a six. All right. So, charisma. We have a super charismatic druid from the Emerald Enclave who is covered in opulent jewelry. Man, I hear that and I think cult leader. That's terrifying. <laughs> right. This guy <laughs> like is like a nature like, cult. It's like, don't worry. I found this gold right out of the ground okay already worked exactly like this because nature provides nature provides you know people think you know metal bad i don't get that this stuff is appearing in nature what are you talking about and so this guy or gal already or non-binary pal (laughs) i'm feeling more non-binary the more i get into this but uh this character is uh already different Mm mm-hmm it's distinct, rather, like, let's say. Okay, uh, roll the second d6. Let's get the low ability. If it's a six, just roll again. It was a six, so I will roll that again. Okay, it you is... need to keep that die. <laughs> I'm, seriously, like this This is going to be for rolling a, a stats from now <laughs> right. on. Uh, that, that one's a three. Three, okay. Um, constitution. Uh, this character is sickly and pale, it says. Interesting. So, yeah, really interesting, really into the gold and jewels, very charismatic, but kind of wiry, okay? Not good health. Interesting. Why is that? Why is the druid unhealthy? Aren't they getting a nice balance of 
berries and I don't know, leaves and bark? What are they? I don't know. Maybe maybe they have some kind of uh, genetic disease that has nothing to do with all of the, the good stuff that they're in and around and just is part of them. They were born sickly. Maybe they were the runt of the litter, so to speak. Maybe. And maybe they're like, hey, the disease is part of nature just like anything. Sure. And it would be wrong of me to intervene on it, right? Or, or even can't necessarily. Like, maybe they don't or have can't. access yeah. to, like, the higher level healings. Um and as a coping mechanism, they became really, really charismatic because it was like, hey, you know, I can't do stuff for myself, so I need to persuade people to do it for me. That's right. Now, what if this person joins us in the party somehow, we need to keep them protected mm-hmm. because they're pretty much going to be a glass cannon. They're yeah. going to be able to, you know, cast their spells. But if they get one hit, they're pretty much KO, right? Yeah. So if I'm looking at the NPC stat block for the uh for this druid i might up the charisma by two or four and then lower uh, their constitution by the same amount sure and then by extension their hit points would also change right and their skills for charisma would also change mm-hmm. right maybe i would move a skill around from one thing to another right where it's like okay well they have persuasion now but let's take away you know survival because you know, they're bad at that. Yeah. Right. So, Which is so interesting. A druid who's bad at survival is really like, there's a story there. That's And that's cool. There is a story there. Maybe they were able to convince someone else to get them their food. Right. And then that's just what they kept doing. They're like, oh, I'm too sick. I can't get up. You know, whatever. Right. They had too many sick notes. <laughs> <laughs> too many sick notes. Too many, too many dead grandmas. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So many dead grandmas. <laughs> Dead and dying grandmas, man. I tell you, they're the excuse for every phone I see. Uh, all right, NPC talents. Give me a D20. This is just something fun about them. All right, uh, that is a 16. So 16. This person is an expert dart thrower and rock skipper. Interesting. <laughs> uh, have you seen uh, Ted Lasso yet? You need to watch this. I have not. He's an expert dart thrower. I, I am. I am familiar out. with the scene though, where where he uh, is like, "Don't assume. Don't make assumptions. <laughs> Don't make assumptions." Because uh, that in gift form has showed up everywhere. So I know what it looks like. I have never heard it. Yeah, because it's an amazing scene. It's so good. Um, okay, so why can they do that? That raises some questions. Uh, we also have mannerisms. This will help us play act the character a little bit. So give us another twenty. All right. Uh, that is another 16. This this die is making up for the pink one. There's al- They're always chewing something. It says choose something and not C-H-O-O-S-E. Yeah. <laughs> it's like literally they're chewing. Um, so are are they, they have like the, they're from Golden Fields, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they probably have the wheat grass in their mouth like a farmer, right? Uh, or maybe they chew cud like a cow does <laughs> or... Maybe they've discovered some early form of gum. I don't know. Um, maybe he's always biting his tongue. <laughs> uh, maybe he's just eating all the time. Maybe the reason why he's sickly isn't because he's, like, thin, but maybe he's, like, obese, right? Um, that could also be an excuse. Could be. Um, so maybe he's always eating something. Uh, or maybe he's is thin and he just can never like gain calories maybe his problem is that he's constantly burning uh his, food his I don't metabolism know. is just so sky high that he's just always like wire thin yeah maybe, maybe it's like the flash right yeah and so but it's actually to the point where it doesn't just make him look good like he just it's bad it's a detriment yeah he's like dude i have to like eat nuts every day you know all day sorry that would sound yeah shut up stop this is why we didn't do this on camera <laughs> You know what? That's on me. That's on me. In most ways, it's better to be on camera because we can see when the other person <laughs> wants to say something. Uh, and quite quite honestly, it's easier for me to like my brain wants something visual to, la- to latch on to. So I don't zone out because my brain is like, ooh, pretty butterflies. You imagine how bad it is for me when I'm in the classroom and I say stuff like that, <laughs> you know, and the whole class is just like, you know, bug eyed, like trying to hold it together. Except for that one kid in the back, she's like, hi, 
He said nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. that always happens. But anyway, so. Terrible. A lot of ways to, to go into that. So that might change your interaction. I don't know why, but having him chew something all the time, I would either make him like a redneck, like kind of voice. I don't know. Is that offensive? Uh, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Uh, and then, uh, or maybe they're um, like a New Yorker. I don't know why. <laughs> what, like, what, like always chewing gum and, and uh, uh, abrasive? Yeah, and abrasive, just calling everything. Hey, uh, Goldfields ain't what it used to be, you know. Uh, all right, so let's go to uh, the next section, interaction with others. How does this person behave when, when they interact with us? That's a 12. Oh my, we're actually using a D12? I know. D12 needs more representation. It really out there. does. Uh, that's a two. All right, two, uh, arrogant. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, we're back to skinny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, this person is very arrogant, and they think that um, they know what's up, and maybe you don't know what's up. The next thing is actually not a, um, a table. It's just useful knowledge. So useful knowledge is super important because the players need a reason to deal with this person, especially if they're arrogant. Yeah. Right? Like, why you are know. we putting up with you? Why Why don't we just drown your skinny butt? Exactly. And it's like, well, because, barbarian, <laughs> if you don't use my help, you're never going to get into the dungeon to get your little gem. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Oh, my God, I want to punch this person already. <laughs> so keep in mind, kids, that if you um, roll one of these negative interaction traits, make them lovable in some way, right? Um, maybe they're mean to the barbarian all the time, but maybe they're really cool to the w one person in the party that's always kind of in the background, right? Mm. The The quiet cleric, you know, like... They're never sassy to the person that, like, they would be punching down on, right? They're always, like, arrogant to the big buff guy that can handle it, right? It's like, what are you going to do, punch me? Big whoop, you know? I'm, I'm disarming you right now with with my attitude. But you, honey, you know, nobody's going to pick on Fluttershy, right? Can't no. pick on Fluttershy. No, you know, too precious. This, this will make this character... Uh, amenable and someone uh, we, they, we can find endearing, uh, even with these flaws. Um, okay, uh, next, ideal. So before we get into this, we have to basically decide on what is their um, alignment. Hmm. And it doesn't have us roll it. We could roll it because there's only six of them that they have listed here. Um, yeah, we're not likely and, to have an evil NPC unless it's an evil campaign. Right, which we could just skip that if we want. Um, the options they have are good, evil, lawful, chaotic, neutral, other. They strike me as being kind of neutral because they strike me as being someone who will do what is best for them and for their goals. And if the party happens to also be involved with that, then cool. So, and that would fit well with them being a druid, right? Mm -hmm. So... Give me a D6. Four. Four. So, moderation, which is really funny. That is uh, fascinating with the jewelry and everything. With the jewelry and the food and everything else. Like, remember, moderation in all things. <laughs> <laughs> this is just chowing down. This could just be a blind spot that they have about themselves, like, they just lack self-awareness. Yeah, or or know? I mean, maybe maybe we go back to, to that idea that you had before of of it being like a piece of wheatgrass always in their mouth, where it's like they have um like an oral fixation, like they're always right. they're, they're always chewing on something like a toothpick or something, but it's not right necessarily food. Or maybe if someone calls them on eating all the time, it's my metabolism. I have to, or I'll die. <laughs> yeah, moderation for me is eating all day. Right. Moderation for me is not dying. <laughs> but it's not you, Melinda. So please chill out, okay, for everybody's sake. <laughs> Nobody likes to watch you eat. Oh, my God. Moderation <laughs> as an ideal with the arrogance would just be 
unlivable in so many ways because not only are they preaching moderation they're really self-righteous about it that's right they're always like trying to give you advice but it always just feels like super judgmental Uh and it's never asked for oh my god (laughs) very much the embodiment of that phrase uh uh advice that is that, that is given that is unwanted is always criticism True, so true. That's I never heard that before, but that's that's super true. I've I've seen that one going around where a speaker said that in a room, and half of the people were like, "Oh my god, yes!" and the other people were trying to defend themselves. <laughs> and it's like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's one of the. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm trying to get into the habit of when someone is like talking about a problem that they're having, of asking, "Do you want to vent, or do you want me to help you work through this?" Right, yeah, and I just always assume it's vent. Until <laughs> it's a good I, assumption until it until it is asked, right? And very rarely has anyone actually gone. Please tell me what to do, mm-hmm. right? But every now and then it's happened, and then I'm like, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah? Uh, anyway, uh, give me a D10. We're gonna talk about bonds. That should be the die that's easiest to find with Rowan's dice, but it took me a second. Uh, that is a six. Okay, so um, this one is they're drawn to a special place, which makes a lot of sense why they're traveling with us, right? They wanna they wanna go somewhere. Um, so they need the bond, of course, is like our reason for doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that that is uh, super important to them. And then their ideals just fl- just um, give reason to why they are doing everything else that they're doing. So then finally, of course, we have the flaw. But the book is interesting. It says flaw or secret or flaws and secrets. Interesting. Right. So it's very interesting. But let's roll. Let's just jump on it. All right. Uh, what die is that? Oh, sorry. Twelve. Two. Oh, there's two twos on these twelves. Interesting. Enjoys decadent pleasures, uh, which goes along with the jewelry really well and all the piercings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. This is L from uh, from Death Note. You know, interesting. Have you seen Death Note? I haven't, but it's so it's been so in the zeitgeist lately that I kind of have an idea of who this person is. Yeah. L is like a master. um detective mm-hmm. and uh they're always eating candy or cake or sweets and stuff like it's interesting they're just always eating stuff but they're wiry thin you know like this is character is so similar except for the jewels um but they're also kind of arrogant as well but they're not like insufferable arrogant they're like more autistic arrogant Right. Well, it, it very much is like the Sherlock Holmes archetype right. of like I've already like played this chess match out in my head uh, of this conversation, and I know what you're going to say and how you're going to react. So this really isn't worth my time. <laughs> and other people are like, "But I like to play chess. <laughs> Let me play I like chess to move with you. the pieces." Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's our that's our flaw. Um, and then, uh, okay, so we need to jump to the section where it talks about NPC party members. By the way, we're done now, right, when it comes to the creation yeah. of this character. We're done. And, you know, there's far more emphasis placed on the story elements than the stat elements, right? Because players need to be very concerned about what their capabilities are. Um, NPCs need to be simple. And uh, most of the... What we need for them is how to make them come to life, because it would be very easy to say you meet a druid and then to just think of every druid you've ever met mm-hmm. and just play the same guy. And that gets really dull for everyone. That gets super dull. Yeah. This person's far more interesting. And all it did was take a few die rolls. Yeah. So. And and this this definitely goes back to uh, the value of random tables and how interesting they can make valuable. things. Super valuable. Even if you're a very creative person, um, they just they, they provide the sort of lubricant to your creativity, you know. And then you know the more creative you are, the better you can put the pieces together, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not creative at all, then this gives you something to work with. Yeah, it gives you a good starting point. 
So it's really great. Okay, NPC party members. So I'm going to read the uh, first paragraph here. Uh, NPCs might join the adventuring party because they want a share of the loot and are willing to accept an equal share of the risk, or they might follow the adventurers because of a bond of loyalty, gratitude, or love. Such NPCs are controlled by you, or you can transfer control to the players. Even if a player controls an NPC, it's up to you to make sure the NPC is portrayed as a character in his or her own right, not just as a servant that the players can manipulate for their own benefit. Because um, it would be really easy to do that. Sure. Uh, okay, so already we, we've got a little bit of complication. What we're ultimately doing here is we're adding a character that needs to be managed by the GM. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, I remember the conversation you were talking about now. Okay. So anyway, um, the uh, so the biggest problem is this. Let's say you have a party of six people, and now we've added an NPC follower. Yeah. And then we roll uh, initiative, and they're gonna they're gonna participate in the initiative. Now let's say there's three more NPCs, right? Now let's say, oh, we forgot there was eight monsters on the field, right? These are long rounds, way too long. Yeah. Right? So unless you have the greatest players of all time, they can pop off an interesting turn and finish it and declare that they're finished, you know, within three seconds, you know, this is going to be a real pain. And even okay. and even with that, it just, it, it can get really tedious on the player side and so much to manage on the GM side because that is, as you say, another full character that's being run by the the DM because in that description, it's this is a person who is a person, not just a, a automaton basically to be bossed around by the NP by the PCs. So that seems like a lot more work on the GM. It is a lot more work on the GM um, or possibly on one of the players that you've assigned this to. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I have found, because I've tried this a lot of times, I have found players don't really like to have them. I've done a thing in the past where they were controlling essentially a guild of heroes and they they were managing the guild, but they could also hire other mercenaries that were sort of like provide alternate characters they could play, right? And this would enable people that really like to play with a lot of builds to like make lots of characters and then to take them around from combat situation to combat situation. But I found that most players, the vast majority, are just like, I want to play my guy. Yeah. Right? I don't want to mess around with this sort of thing, um, which I totally understand. Because then we're just kind of, it leans more, let's say, to the die rolling aspect of the game and less on the role play aspect of the game. Yeah. Um, if you're a, the kind of person that likes to play a lot of characters, you're probably the GM. <laughs> right? So, yeah. if, you know, that problem is got solved, right? And if there's two of you at the table, you're not going to get along anyway. So you might as well just stop playing. Sorry, that was a, that was a fresh take. Um, but No, yeah, I mean, no. It, it, it makes sense because... Career GMs tend not to play well. <laughs> that's that's fair. Maybe, maybe I should just never be a career GM because I love playing so much. But I do enjoy GMing, so... Yeah, well, I mean, I, I you're different always, but um, oh. the <laughs> I mean, you're weird. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I am. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> so you're welcome. Um, let's see. All right, here's the part that's going to piss everybody off. All right, here we go. Sorry, we're running on time here. You're fine. Low level flat followers. Your campaign might allow player characters to take on lower level NPCs as followers. For example, a paladin might have a first level paladin as a squire. A wizard might accept a second level wizard as an apprentice. A cleric might choose or be assigned a third level cleric as an acolyte, and a bard might take on a fourth level bard as an understudy. All right. And it's like, okay, that's cute. One advantage of allowing lower level characters to join the party is that players have backup characters if their main characters take time, retire, or die. Uh, one disadvantage is that you and your players have more party members to account for. Yeah. Uh, that's not a one-to-one, -one, though. 
the weighting on that problem is much higher. Okay, um, we've done things in the past too where we've you know maybe had someone absent from the table for a given week, mm-hmm. and so we say, okay, you have control of that character this week. Sure. And you can play as them, but I I have never found that players were particularly excited to do that because now they're just managing. And the other players don't like it as much because now they have even less time, mm-hmm. right? One benefit of having someone absent from the table is that you get faster rounds, right? Plus the GM probably altered the encounter a little bit, right? you know, so now there's two less guys on the table or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, now we're going to just make things really easy. Okay. And that's that's one way to handle it. Here's a real part that's going to make everyone upset. Since lower level NPC party members receive equal party shares of XP. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, they will gain levels more quickly than the adventurers uh, and might eventually catch up to them. It also means the adventurer's advancement is somewhat slowed. Do adventurers like having their XP slowed? No. They do not. When when you're rolling with XP advancement, man, we claw every piece of XP from every encounter that we can get or argue for. So as we're running out of time here, and I didn't even get to the Tasha section, um, I'm just going to say this. Uh... Try to keep them out of combat. Mm-hmm. What, uh, one thing I have found that works is if instead of like having a town, you have like a caravan. And so you always have a camp and the camp is always following you. And you can collect as many NPCs in that as you want, uh, but they stay at camp. Hmm. Okay. So you have a, uh, you know, your blacksmith, your alchemist, your... You know, your crafters, your, if you don't want your players to do much crafting, but you want them to collect some interesting doodads and then to bring them back, this is something that NPCs can do. They can also provide information for the needed quest. They can just be the one guy that unlocks the door to get into the temple because they have the blood of the dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Insert answers here. All that good stuff. The only time I would recommend... Considering using uh, NPC followers as combatants would be like two people showed up today, right? Like my table is really empty, and so I'm going to give each of them one of the followers, right? Just so I don't have to completely rebalance this encounter. Even then, it might be better to just cancel the session. It might be better to uh, just say, okay, you two get a temporary buff. Sure. Right, which you can also use the NPCs for. It's like, oh, everybody's missing. Here, I made this potion for you. It gives you barbarian rage yeah. for an hour, right? You know, something like that. And for some reason, it's not there again next week, right? I could, when everyone's back. I could also see using them in combat situations if you want to underline uh, story-wise how serious a situation is. And so you want to throw something really big at them, but you also don't want them to die. So if they're going into an area where all of the enemies are a lot higher level than them, having someone like Harshnag, for example, would level the playing field enough that it is a hard fight, a very hard fight, but they have the chance of getting out. Absolutely. And then there's also the drama of, are they going to die? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you might not give your NPCs death-saving throws. No. Why? Why should you? You might just say, when they hit zero, kids, they're done. Mm-hmm. And if you've had time to get attached to them, man, that's that's a that's a heartbreak. Yeah, that sucks to suck. So it's just like, like, and if they've become emotionally attached to that character, that can be a really interesting thing to add into the mix. Um, you can also do the kind of a video gamey thing where the NPC is like doing a ritual or something. Sure. Or they're working on the trap, or they're trying to close the gate. They're doing the thing that isn't combat. But you have to protect them. I li- so and can, I like that, too, a lot. Yeah, that way they're just not taking initiatives. Uh, you just maybe at the end of the round move the progression mm-hmm. a little bit further, right? Yeah. And you just illustrate that really quick, and then you're done. And that creates fun, exciting uh, drama for the table. All right, so that's a good way to use it. But step one when it comes to using an NPC no matter what is you need to make the the players care about them 
in some way. They either need to love them, uh, find them extremely useful, or hate them. In, and hate is also care in mm -hmm. this case, right? Like, you occupy my thoughts. And so they need to want to get after that villain. They want. They need to want to um, protect that NPC, right? Um, we can only really threaten town once we know who lives there. Yeah. Right. And so it's this sort of dastardly thing you have to do as a GM, which is make everyone care and then threaten them. But it's it's not to be sadistic, hopefully. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's, it's to it's to it's to underline the drama of the situation. It's to um, give them the 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 kind of emotional buy-in that everyone wants for for that sort of situation. It's you know it it makes it more than just you know insert tab A into slot B slash goblin C's head off type of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the more the more character and the more of the why that you can put into a situation makes that how and what much more interesting. But I think you're right. I think that that followers and that and that sort of NPC specifically have a lot of pitfalls to be aware of. Um, I'm never going to say don't do something at your table if it's something you want to try. But sure, it's something sure. to have a very serious conversation about the pros and cons of it. And you may decide that there are more cons than pros with that kind of situation. Yeah. There's a lot of pitfalls here, and hopefully we've done well at kind of giving you some warning. Just informed consent, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what Informed where we're consent at. is very important. You, you, very you important. need to know what you're getting into, and if you don't, well, then someone's done their job wrong. Yeah, that's right. It's good for, for tables. It's good for relationships. It's very good for doctors. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Well, I think that's about all I have today. Um, any last thoughts? Uh, not particularly. I think that this is a, it's an interesting topic that I hadn't thought a lot about because I tend to play as characters who don't, I, I don't really want a follower because in this, that's another person that I have to manage, even if not mechanically, emotionally, I have to manage like <laughs> another, another entity basically. And I would rather, yeah. I'd rather put that emotional energy into building a relationship with the rest of the party. Now I will say if we had to do, if I had planned to do like a one, a game with like one player. Oh sure. That, that's different though. That could be interesting because that player is enjoying all that time. Yeah. Maybe two players, but again, that's very particular. That, and that's so different. I mean, there are there are um, modules and stories that are set up for one GM, one player, or one GM, two players. Uh, I've played in that kind of game before, and it can be very interesting. It can also, if there's two, it can be very difficult if the second person does not pick up any of the role playing burden. Where it's mm -hmm. like, I might as well be a solo player at this point. <laughs> Yeah, in which case I just I I'm gonna go play Baldur's Gate three, you know, because then I get to be all the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, how's your computer coming along? Is it up? Is it running? Uh, I'm looking at the monitor that's sitting right next to me. I I have it all plugged into the Ethernet and everything. I'm still figuring out wiring. I'm getting my computer desk hopefully soon and get that that in my computer chair set up. But the computer itself is up and running and Steam is installed on it. Okay, and have you installed Baldur's Gate 3 yet? I was waiting for payday before I could buy it, so I haven't gotten that yet. <laughs> okay, well, we'll make that happen. Um, and uh, then we'll play some Baldur's Gate 3. That'll I'm excited. Be really fun. That's gonna, that, that is another thing that I want to stream. I, I want to I play my first like solo thing all the way through just right, to get the course. story, but then I want to stream course. just to like, hi, everyone, it's Baldur's Gate 3. Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah, I would love to to play that as well. Yeah. Um, that would be a really good time. Plus, it would add some freshness to the game, mm -hmm. you know, because at this point, I've played it a lot. So <laughs> it would be Somehow good. Somehow, I'm not at all surprised. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's, uh, yeah. Why don't you wrap us up? Take us home. <laughs> Let's do it. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we've given you some food for thought. And um, if you want to try out the the NPC stuff, again, we've been working from Chapter 4 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. There's also some stuff in Tasha's 
that we didn't get to today that talks about NPCs and how to flesh them out a little bit more. So we encourage you to dive into that because Adam Adam has his overbuild problem. I have my underbuild problem. We're both <laughs> trying to work toward a happy medium That's somewhere right. in the middle. And we hope so that we've true. given you some food for thought to help you avoid some of the pitfalls. So until next time, stay inspired. Later. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Thank you.